right, y'all. So for new listeners, I start every episode by singing a theme song or a song from the soundtrack of the movie or TV show that I'm reviewing. Unfortunately, today's nostalgic masterpiece does not have an associated recognizable song. I was afraid something like this was going to happen. So since this movie came out on May 4th, 1999, I figured I would sing the song that was at the top of the Billboard charts on the day the movie came out. And it is another time classic so here goes a scrub is a guy who thinks he's fine he's also known as a buster always talking about what he wants and just sits on his brocade so no i don't want your number no i don't want to give you money no i don't want to be you nowhere no i don't want none of your time no i don't want no scrub scrub is a guy that can't get nothing from me and i Passengers and I was with my friend trying to holler at me. Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What is up, Home Slices? Thank you so much for tuning into Sub Media Reviews. I'm Kiara, and I am stoked to review the amazing 1999 film, The Mummy. The movie features Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell, Rachel Weisz as Evelyn or Evie, Patricia Velasquez as Anuxana Moon, and Arnold Vuslow. Jesus, I mispronounced that probably. Voslu as The Mummy. So here are some fun facts about the movie. Brendan Fraser nearly died during the scene where his character gets hanged. Rachel Weiss remembered that Fraser's Y'all, it's Fraser, I believe. It's not Fraser. We put an I there just because our brains automatically do that. But I believe his last name is really pronounced Fraser. Brendan Fraser, according to Rachel Weiss, stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. That is commitment. Okay. The next fun fact is that the production had the official support of the Moroccan army and the cast members had kidnapping insurance taken out on them. This fact was kept from them by Stephen Summers, the writer of the film, and he didn't tell the cast members about the kidnapping insurance until after the shooting had finished. So I didn't know kidnapping insurance was a thing. 
And it probably was wise for the writer to not tell the cast to alert them to the fact that there was kidnapping risk. I don't know. How do y'all feel about that? Would you want to know that there's a risk you could be kidnapped or would you want to not be kidnapped and be relieved later on? I have no idea. You tell me how you feel. And the final fun fact is, despite the name of the movie, the title character was actually never mummified. His followers were mummified, but he was subjected to a very different death and that's why he got those special abilities. So if you want to check out The Mummy, it is available on Peacock Premium as of the recording of this episode. Or if you're like me and you watch this movie multiple times a year, you can also buy or rent it from multiple different sources. So my personal connection to The Mummy is... There's a lot of things, okay? I freaking love this movie. Like like I said earlier, I watch it multiple times a year. There are certain times where I'm just like, ah, I don't want to watch anything new. I don't want to watch anything on YouTube. You know what? Let me just put on the mummy while I fold these clothes or do X, Y, and Z. Y'all, I secretly call this movie The Yummy because Brendan Fraser and Oded Fair. So Oded Fair, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but Oded Fair plays Ardith Bay, who is the leader of the Magi in this film, they are so nice to look at. Like, they look so good in this movie, especially Oded, okay? Like, I don't really go for face tattoos, but he looked good. <laughs> he looked good in this movie. And then, of course, you have Rachel Weisz and Patricia Velasquez, who are also super beautiful. So this cast is just like a really beautiful looking cast, okay? They look great. Another reason why I feel personally connected to this film is that it's a good adventure movie. I love a good adventure movie and it also has a campy element to it that you can recognize that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Even though this movie is supposed to be about a mummy induced apocalypse, it's also freaking hilarious and super campy. And it really is the best of both worlds when it comes to like this funny campiness that makes it comedic and also this like adventure movie. So I love that as well. Another thing that I really like about this movie is that I'm kind of like a low key, very interested in mythology, not like enough to study it. But if there are movies or things that are on different, like mythological beings or whatever, I'm low key, like into that. Like I was a big fan of Supernatural before they went on a way too long tirade about angels and God and the devil and all that stuff. Like I was over it. But I am low key into like supernatural mythology and all that kind of stuff. And so I have no idea about the accuracy regarding like Egyptian lore or anything, but I do like how it's really incorporated in this film. I also like that this is low key a love story. Like there are two parallel love stories going on. And I think that's like a cute element as well. The romance incorporated into the adventure. And finally, like something about the dialogue. This is like the hardest part to explain about my personal connection to this movie is because there is something about the way the dialogue and the relationships in this film that come across as very realistic to me. And at some points, it feels like regular human interactions and not a scripted movie. And the thing that comes to mind particularly when I say that is the frenemy energy between Rick O'Connell, Brendan Fraser's character, and the character named Benny. 
Y'all, Rick and Benny's relationship is so freaking funny to me. And it comes across as like super realistic of how like a frenemy relationship would be. So yeah, those are the reasons why like I love this movie. And so I bought it, y'all. I went on, I think it was Amazon and I purchased it. And I was like, I cannot be at the whimsy of these streaming executives to decide when I get to watch The Mummy for free. So I just decided to buy it. I literally watch it probably about four times a year. Like this is one of the movies that like, if I'm just in a mood or whatever, I'll just put it on. So I'm really excited to share my perspective on this movie. So let's chat. All right, so it's the opening scene and we see ancient Thebes in all of its glory in about 1290 BC. We see a man named Imhotep, who we will eventually come to know as the mummy. He is Pharaoh's high priest and the keeper of the dead. We also have Anuxana Moon, who is Pharaoh's mistress. Apparently she was his favorite. She has like body painting all over her and everyone else was forbidden from touching her. But Imhotep and Anuxana Moon had like a little secret romance going on. And the Pharaoh ends up catching them because her body painting like was smeared or whatever. And by this point, they were like, we didn't mess up the Pharaoh and caught us. We might as well kill him. And they, they kill him. And Anux and Moon is like, yo, I'm over this. I don't want to be his mistress no more. I'm in love with this high priest named Imhotep. And yeah, they killed the freaking Pharaoh. I don't think they did like the best job of showing the gravity of killing the Pharaoh. It's like low key killing POTUS. So yeah, like it's a big deal. <laughs> so anyways, the Magi, who are the Pharaoh's bodyguards, come into the room and Anux and Amun is like, Imhotep, you can go escape and you can resurrect me. Because if you remember, Imhotep is a keeper of the dead. And so she decides to stab herself and is like, I'm no longer, you know, the Pharaoh's temple anymore. And then Imhotep escapes with his own priests. So later on, they steal her mummified corpse and takes her to Hamanuptra, which is the city of the dead, where they're going to do this ceremony to resurrect her. Hamanuptra is like the resting place for like the wealth of Egypt and all that kind of stuff. Like y'all know in mummification back in those days, they believed in resurrection, I believe. So they left riches there inside of the grave so that people who came back to life would have bank accounts. I don't know. <laughs> so anyways, this was like the burial grounds for like a lot of important people and was rumored to have a lot of wealth. So Imhotep takes the book of the dead from its holy resting place. And of course that made the gods angry because they're like, hey, put that book down. And um <laughs> He starts doing the ceremony to try to resurrect the moon. So he has her vital organs in their like ceremonial jars. But before he could complete the ritual, the Magi roll up in there and they stop him because they've been following him. Right. And this was actually a good plan because Hamanutra is where they actually mummified Imhotep's high priest. So basically Imhotep's like, 
assistance or whatever, they get mummified. But Imhotep, because he did like so much to anger the gods, which included like killing the pharaoh and then like stealing a corpse to try to <laughs> resurrect her and like stealing a book that had magic spells in it to resurrect people, like he had done some high crimes. So they reserved a special type of death for him called the hum die. And also like the other priests that were with him, they weren't just mummified, they were mummified alive, which sounds horrific. Okay. But yeah, the hum die was a curse that had never been performed before. And they're like, we reserve this curse for you, especially since you want to commit all these heinous crimes. So basically they cut his tongue out. And he gets eaten alive by scarab beetles and locked away with the special key for his sarcophagus or whatever. So the Magi, who again are the Pharaoh's bodyguards, keep him a secret basically over the course of history. They are descendants of Pharaoh's bodyguards and they're like, look, if this dude Imhotep gets resurrected, he will basically be invincible bring on the plagues of Egypt and will bring about the destruction of the world. And the question is, how do curses work? So while I was watching this movie, my mother was watching it with me and she asked a question and I was like, hmm, I don't know how curses work because like I said, the hum die was like a very harsh punishment death, right? He gets eaten alive. He gets his tongue cut out. Um, you know, it's a harsh death for harsh penalties and all that stuff. But how does that work? I don't like, logically, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around how someone who committed such heinous crimes and then gets a death that matches the heinousity, so I don't know if that's a word, that matches the severity of the heinous crimes how he gets to come back from the dead and have a bunch of powers. I don't know how curses work, y'all, but my best guess is that by performing this like unspeakable death ceremony on Imhotep, the Magi are taking a risk. And because of how bad the death is, he gets to, I don't know, it still don't make sense, y'all. If y'all know how curses work, y'all let me know. I don't, I don't understand. I hope I'm making sense. <laughs> I hope I'm making sense. But anyways, moving on to the next scene, it is 1923. So this movie is set in 1923. And we're going to keep that in mind, okay? 1923 in Hamanotra, this is where the next scene is. It's over 3,200 years later after Imhotep is you know, buried alive, however you want to call it, or after he undergoes the Humdai. So we see that there over time have been a lot of armies fighting over Humanuptra because of the wealth that's inside those tombs and the graves or whatever. Of course, they don't know about the mummy because the Magi have kept that under wraps. Do you get it? Under wraps because of mummies? Yeah. So the Magi are always keeping watch for 3000 plus years to make sure that nobody finds Imhotep because if he gets resurrected, the world's going in, right? So this is where we meet Rick O'Connell. Again, this is Brendan Fraser's character. And we also see Benny, who at the moment, I don't have Benny's name, the actor who played him. But they are in some type of army fighting over Humanuptra. And so 
the leader of this like platoon of dudes or whatever. And Benny, they run away like cowards when they are faced with fighting this other army. And at this moment, in the film, I could not tell if they were fighting the Magi or if they were fighting another group of people who were trying to steal the wealth of Humanoptra. It's kind of hard to tell, but we can probably assume it's the Magi trying to stop them from uncovering the mummy, right? So basically, after Benny and their leader or commander runs away Rick is in charge but they get overtaken because they're outnumbered and Rick is running and he tells Benny to get inside the tombs but Benny closes the door behind him and forces Rick to fend for himself so this establishes that Benny is a coward um, this establishes that him and Benny are not going to have a good relationship. And their relationship in this film is one of my favorite, actually. So, yeah, Rick has to fend for himself. He's basically out of bullets. One other piece of this scene that I kind of low-key don't get or understand is that because it's in 1920, people are fighting with guns and they're on horses. And there are a lot of scenes of like horses falling when they are injured. And I'm like, did any of these horses actually get injured in these scenes? I don't know how they film scenes like this where people are riding horses into battle and then the horses end up falling or X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't know how that works. I'm hoping that no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. So Rick ends up getting surrounded. He basically is about to be killed because he is literally on his own. There's nobody else there. Uh, but the horses get spooked and these other people leave. The people that were after him leave. And then something moves the sand that he's standing on to make this weird sand castle structure that looks like a large face with an open mouth. So in this instance, if these are the Magi that were attacking Rick's platoon or squadron or whatever they are, the Magi do their jobs and they keep the creature from being discovered and Rick heads into the desert alone and the Magi don't even bother to kill him okay they assume the desert will do the dirty work for them and that there's no way he could survive and boy were they wrong but this scene is also where we're introduced to the character Ardith Bay who again is the leader of the Magi and is very good to look at even with the face tattoos y'all it's a good looking man <laughs> Anyway, so next up, it is 1926. So actually, most of the movie takes place in 1926. So this is three years after all the stuff that went down in Humanoptra, right? So we are at the Museum of Antiquities and we meet Evelyn, who's played by Rachel Weiss, who's a librarian who ends up destroying all the bookshelves that are falling down domino style because she's lazy and has an accident with the ladder. So um, her being clumsy and getting into a lot of trouble is a recurring theme in the mummy movies. <laughs> and because she doesn't have enough field experience, she ends up getting rejected from an organization called the Bembridge Scholars. And this is something that would really advance her career. So she is a librarian, but she wants to be more than that. And the fact that she is a woman plays a part in that as well. 
So the curator of the museum comes in after he hears all the ruckus of all of the bookshelves falling over and he sees the mess and he is so upset and he calls her a catastrophe. So it turns out that her parents were big patrons of the library and we find out that she's a really knowledgeable librarian. She can read and write ancient Egyptian among like a bunch of other things. And so she hears something in the exhibit part of the museum and it startles her. And it's her ne'er-do-well brother, Jonathan, (laughs) who uses a skeleton. This is supposed to be like an actual skeleton to scare his sister by like popping it out of a sarcophagus. It was actually pretty funny. But her brother, Jonathan, has a penchant for gambling, women, and stealing stuff. So he's kind of like the opposite of Evie. He doesn't take life seriously. And he's basically fula-lying around and he messed up his own career. They don't go into it. I don't know what Jonathan did, but whatever career he had was ruined. And Jonathan shows her a small box that he found. He says that he found it on a dig site in Thebes. It's obviously a really old box. And we see that this box opens up and has a map inside. And the map has the seal of the Pharaoh Seti, the first who was said to be the richest Pharaoh of all time. So they show it to the curator and the curator is like, this is fake. It's hokum. They use the word hokum a lot, which is a word that I didn't know until a few years ago I heard it on the office and I was like what the heck is hokum what is that (laughs) so you learn a new word every day whatever so the curator is just being really dismissive or whatever and he's like you know there's nothing to this map it's fake whatever humanuptra isn't real but there's a lot of lore about the treasure that's buried there again because they buried these physical material possessions when they mummified people so the curator burns the map on accident hear the air quotes when I say accident and then warns them about people who have lost their lives searching for a city that's not real so the curator is like "Mm, y'all thought y'all found something but there really is nothing to it so next up (laughs) Jonathan and his sister go to a prison in Cairo because it turns out that Jonathan didn't find the box in Thebes. He stole it off of Rick O'Connell, Brendan Fraser's character. So to learn more, they go to the Cairo prison where Rick has been sentenced to death. They want more information about where this little box came from. Jonathan wants the riches, of course, and Evelyn or Evie as they call her wants to do research and it's going to help her get some field experience so that she can be a Bembridge scholar. So we don't know why Rick is in jail and we actually never figure out why he's there but they suggest that he did something very lewd. When the guards bring him to meet Jonathan and Evie he looks a hot mess. He looks like he's been in a 1920s Egyptian prison. He has a very like George of the Jungle grunge thing going on. He's fighting with the guards like he doesn't have good manners. He calls Evie abroad. They ask about the box and he admits to being at Hamanuptra, but he also recognizes Jonathan and punches him in the face for stealing from him. So the box actually was Rick's box and Jonathan was at a bar or something and ended up stealing it from Rick's possession or whatever. So 
right away, Rick is coming off as like being super rough around the edges and that he doesn't take things too seriously. Like he's still, you know, assaulting people or whatever, like right before he's supposed to be sentenced to death. And he, okay, this is the part where he sexually assaults Evie. She gets too close. <laughs> he tells her to get closer when she asks about Hamanuptra and she gets close enough to kiss her. So he kisses her without her consent. And he says, if you want to know where Hamanuptra is, then you need to figure out how to save me. So, you know, he's been sentenced to hanging and Evie basically has to haggle for Rick's life, even though he just sexually assaulted her. So this is a scene in the movie that, of course, I don't really like. Non-consensual kisses are no good. And I'm assuming that because this movie was set in 1926 that it's supposed to be acceptable. Um, uh, you decide on that, okay? So basically, it's time for Rick to get executed. And so the warden is trying to haggle with Evie. And he's like, you know, I'm a very lonely man. And like, he's trying to haggle with some sexual favors. So she ends up embarrassing him in front of the prisoners by rejecting him. And Rick gets hanged and he's hanging. And like I said earlier, like he almost died in this scene and had to be revived. But eventually, after some haggling, the warden agrees to cut down Rick when Evie offers him part of the loot from Hamanaptra. So he's super motivated by money, even though he's like a disgusting man. So in this next scene, we are at the Giza port and we see that they are taking a boat as the first leg of their journey to Hamanaptra. So Brandon Fraser sews up clean shaven and in decent clothes. And Evie is like, mm, he cleans up good. She doesn't say anything, but her face says, mm, he cleans up good. So she kind of thinks that he may be taking them for a ride. Like maybe he's never been to Hamanaptra, but he's like, no, I was there. Okay. And he was like, when we found it, we only found sand and blood so the warden shows up kind of unexpectedly and he's like I'm here to protect my investment so he's tagging along to make sure he gets his percentage of the loot from Hamanaptra so we see that the magi are on small boats approaching the boat that's carrying Rick Evie and a few other travelers so they're on the water now and the magi are like sneaking on the boat right because they know people are headed to Hamanaptra so it's like hey we need to stop this from happening and they are en route okay so on this boat, we meet a few other characters, right? Like we meet a group of Americans that are also going to Hamanaptra in their own like treasure hunting journey. One of them has really horrible eyesight, which becomes important later. And they make a little childish $500 bet about which team can make it to Hamanaptra first. Is it Rick and his team or is it the Americans, right? And we find out that the Americans have a guide who has actually been to Hamanaptra before. At some point, Rick finds Evie on the boat and she's just really disapproving of him. And Rick pulls out a bunch of weapons and tells her that there is evil under Hamanaptra, that it's been cursed. And we find out that she's looking for the book of Amun-Ra that has secret incantations and is made of pure gold. So she gets a little curious and she asks why he kissed her and she doesn't like what he says. He basically says, I was about to be executed. Like I needed to get some action before I left this world. So she <laughs> leaves in a huff as she should. It was a little offensive and we hear a startled scream and come to find out it's Benny. 
Y'all, this is their first interaction we see of Benny and Rick since Benny basically left Rick to die back in Humanoptra. And, you know, Rick is able to piece together that Benny is the one that's leading the Americans and Rick pulls his gun on him. And Benny is like, I have to go with them to Humanuptra and bring them back because they won't give me the rest of the money until we all get back to Cairo safely. So we find out that Rick tells Benny, like, I'm going back because this girl saved my life. Then Benny cracks a joke and Rick throws him overboard. Y'all, Rick is not playing with Benny. It's so funny to me because they don't hide that they're frenemies there are moments where they seem pretty chummy and then he just throws him over (laughs) the side of the boat and I don't know what body of water this is that they are on I know they left from Giza but I don't know where Humanoptera is supposed to be but there's probably hippos and crocodiles (laughs) in this body of water so it's not necessarily safe for him to be throwing people overboard but we'll forget about that we'll suspend our disbelief on that Anyways, Rick obviously is still a little salty after being left to die in Humanoptera and rightfully so. So after Rick throws Benny overboard, he notices wet footprints that show someone walking onto the boat. So Evie is kind of dreamily getting ready for bed. She's pining over that kiss she had with Nick. And then she gets attacked by a Magi with a hook she sees him in the mirror like Candyman, and he's asking like where's the map and the key and she's like what are you talking about and then he spots it in her room and then rick comes in and starts shooting so more magi start popping up and then rick like destroys a lantern um which basically lights the boat ablaze okay so the boat is going up in flames evie ends up escaping the hook guy by poking him in the eye with a lit candle and then this crazy scene ensues where there's chaos all across the boat right like the americans are enjoying shooting people way too much like it's the okay corral or something and people are literally fighting for their lives right like trying to figure out where do we go (laughs) from here we're being attacked and the boat is on fire like what's going on they end up forgetting the key which is the little box that Jonathan stole off of Rick. But Jonathan ends up retrieving it and actually throws the hook guy, the Magi guy with the hook, throws him into the fire on accident. So people are jumping off the ship. The Magi are getting shot. Some passengers are getting shot. Rick is like double fisting it with the guns. He's shooting Magi. He throws Evie overboard to save her life. He ends up having to fight for his own life and then finally jumps overboard. And the warden realizes that he has to jump overboard too. And so when the warden jumps overboard, I don't know why, but it's so funny because Rick tells him, He's like, I'm going to go get some help. And Rick jumps off the boat. And then the warden is like, dang, like his body language. He's like, dang, I got to jump off the boat too. I don't know. This is part of like the feeling of this movie being actually real of him having like a 10 second moment where he's like, okay, cool. Rick is going to go get somebody. Rick is going to go get somebody to get help. And then the realization that, oh no, he's not. That was a joke. I need to jump off the boat too. I don't know why that scene is so funny to me. 
So like I said, the Americans are treating the attack like the old West, like it's the OK Corral, but they do end up saving Jonathan from the guy with the hook. So uh, the boat is exploding. Everybody's getting off and now everyone, including the animals, are off the boat and trying to salvage what they can from the river. So they lose a lot of supplies and all that stuff. Benny tries to taunt Rick because his side of the river that he's on has all the horses. And then Rick says, looks to me like you're on the wrong side side in the river <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny but this is the frenemy relationship that I'm talking about he's taunting him from the wrong side of the river and it's just funny it's I don't know it's campy it's campy and I feel like this is how real frenemies would interact with each other I'm super into it okay so one of the bigger issues that I have with this movie is how disposable the Magi are. These people are literally trying to stop white people from destroying the world by reviving a mummy. <laughs> and they've been doing that job for 3,200 years and they just keep getting shot and killed in the pursuit of trying to prevent the apocalypse. And in this movie, they are being burned and shot and maimed and all that stuff and it's like they're just trying to do their jobs okay like this job that has been handed down from their forefathers to protect white people from themselves so i don't like how we're just disposing of them okay so basically because they lost all of their materials and clothes during the boat attack they have to head to a local market so they get four camels evie gets some cultural clothing which turns rick on rick thinks she looks really beautiful in it and this is just one of those things where like wearing more clothes can make you more sexy sometimes ladies so the magi of course are still tracking these people and they even recognize rick and they're like hmm he was here three years ago he's strong he's back we gotta watch him so both the teams trek through the desert towards Hamanoptera separately but they were arrived to the same spot on the day that they basically arrived to the area so the Americans and Rick's crew meet up basically at the same spot so that they can race to Hamanoptera remember they had like this little $500 bet so one of the things I forgot is that in addition to Benny the Americans have an Egyptologist played by Jonathan Hyde I don't know if he had a name in this movie I feel like they didn't really use it but you might remember Jonathan Hyde as the dad from Jumanji but anyways the Americans have horses and Rick's crew have camels so they're trying to figure out why are we stopping here like what the going on and they're like we're about to be shown the way and when the sun rises Hamanoptera is like mystically revealed almost like a mirage so the race begins Benny is on a camel and as Rick is catching up to him Benny starts smacking him over and over again with the little camel whip I don't know what it's called but this scene is so funny he's just smacking the crap out of Rick with this whip over and over again and I feel like there was something weird going on in this scene because Benny literally said to Rick right before they started racing like nice camel but Benny was riding a camel I don't know what that's weird that's weird anyways Rick ends up throwing Benny off of his camel 
Again, y'all, when it comes to throwing Benny around, like Rick does not play with Benny. It's so funny, y'all. He throws Benny off of his camel. Evie ends up taking the lead on her camel and makes it to the city first. So they win the $500 bet. And again, I guess this makes Evie like not like the other girls because she can ride a camel into the sunset, right? So everyone's setting up camp, right? The cultural expert or the Egyptologist is giving orders. The Americans, I'm assuming they have a lot of money. So they hired helpers to help them dig. So they have like a large crew. So in addition to like the four Americans and the Egyptologist, they have like a crew of probably like 30 people to help them dig and excavate and all that jazz. So... Like I said, the Egyptologist is giving them orders and he makes a misogynistic comment when Evie is like fulala with some mirror or whatever. So one of the Americans is like, she's over there messing with that mirror. Do they know something we don't know? And the cultural expert, the Egyptologist is like, they're led by a woman. What can a woman know? Very 1920s of him. Okay. So uh, anyways, the Bim Bridge scholars believe that the Book of Amun-Ra is stored at the base of the statue of Anubis. So that's what Rick's team is going to look for first. So Rick stole a digging kit off of the Americans for Evie. This is like his first gift offering to Evie. And Rick is obviously a little sweet on her. Okay. And she of course appreciates the gesture because she lost all of her digging equipment in the, you know, when the boat sank. So they go underground into the tombs and they use that little mirror thing she was messing around with to light the room. So it's like a mirror trick that brings in light from outside into this like dark space. So Rick is freaking out and he has his gun drawn and he's like, he knows something evil is there because it made a sandcastle underneath his feet during when he was there last time everybody else is like okay rick you tripping everything in here is dead like we don't need to be like on guard like this but you know rick is smarter than everybody so there's a bunch of like weird noises that sound like bugs scurrying and the warden is like mm, i hate bugs and they end up finding the legs of the statue of anubis and they're searching for the secret compartment to find that book that she's looking for the book of amun ra so there's a lot of haunting noises going on but it turns out to be the americans and they're basically fighting over this dig site because the egyptologist is leading them there to the base of the the statue of Anubis as well. So Evie sees something like there's a space that they can go to below the statue of Anubis. And she basically is like, hey, like we can find a different dig site like y'all have this one. So Evie wants to dig underneath the statue to get access to the compartment from below, basically like stealing the book right from under the Americans. The warden, of course, don't care about no book. He looking for treasure. So he's off roaming on his own. He want money. Okay. So he finds these like bejeweled beetles. They're covered in blue gold. And we flip to a, another scene where the Americans have diggers. All right, they're digging at the base of the statue. And the Egyptologist is like, mm, let's let the diggers open this compartment, all right? And when it opens, the diggers get melted with salt acid. So classic ancient Egyptian booby traps. How fun. 
So Evie, Rick, and Jonathan are hanging out underneath the statue of Anubis and Jonathan is playing golf and hits a rock or something and a sarcophagus sarcophagus that's buried at the base of Anubis falls from the ceiling. So they're like, oh, he was either a really important guy or he did something real bad. So uh, we flip back to the warden who's collecting more of these fancy beetles and he accidentally drops one on the floor instead of putting it in his bag that beetle comes to life it breaks out of that pretty blue gold shell and it burrows its way into the warden's body through his foot now this movie came out when i was like eight or nine years old this terrified me (laughs) bugs getting underneath your skin is terrifying to me okay it's horrifying really so you can see this beetle crawling underneath his skin like even on his chest the warden is going crazy because there's a bug underneath his skin he ends up running through the tombs and eventually dies when he runs into a wall so blunt force trauma or whatever so rick evie and jonathan are checking out the sarcophagus y'all they really don't spend much time on the warden we assume that he was a bad guy and bad guys in movies are just disposable right like they get killed and we move on with our lives so rick evie and jonathan do just that they are checking out the sarcophagus there's an inscription on it that says he who shall not be named so we see that it's voldemort (laughs) y'all okay Who's scarier, Voldemort or the mummy? Y'all let me know in the comments. So someone mentions a key and Evie remembers that the man with the hook from the boat mentioned a key. And so the little box that Jonathan stole off Rick is the key and it fits perfectly. So they use it to unlock the sarcophagus, right? So later on, Rick's crew finds out about the salt acid incident and Jonathan and Rick thinks like hey it's an omen maybe we shouldn't be here but Evie again does not believe in any of that hokum and curses or whatever and so we get a a quick scare as Jonathan starts to rifle through the warden's bag because he had been putting those bugs in there but it turns out he just had a broken bottle of whiskey or something some brown liquor or whatever so you know some people start getting drunk Uh, when they find this bottle so the magi attack them again it's nighttime by now rick starts fighting and ardith is fighting or whatever and ardith the magi leader is going for rick until rick lights a stick of dynamite and ardith is like okay look y'all got one day to leave and then the magi ride out right so the americans think that because the Magi are attacking them, there must be a bunch of gold that they're trying to protect, like a bunch of treasures or whatever. And Rick is like, nah, they live in the desert. They want water. They don't care about gold. So Rick knows something is up. So everybody's getting wasted, right? Because they found this bottle of water. Evie is drunk. We hear a little bit more about her backstory. And Rick just really does not understand her motivations for wanting to be there. Everybody else is really motivated by greed, but her motivation is the pursuit of knowledge. We find out that her father was a famous explorer, that her mother was an adventurous Egyptian. And so Evie gets mad and does a monologue because Rick is acting like he can't understand why she would want to be there. And she's like... I may not be a gun-toting whatever, but I'm a proud librarian. And she gets ready to kiss him, but then she passes out from the liquor. So no kiss for you, Mr. Rick. It's the next day and the chest 
that was buried at the secret compartment at the base of Anubis gets removed from the little salt acid incident. And the cultural leader reads the curse that's carved into the chest. Death will come on swift wings to whosoever opens this chest. There is one, the undead, who can consummate this curse. Kill openers of the chest, take their organs, regenerate, and bring a plague on this earth. Some weird wind comes through after he reads this inscription and it frightens the diggers and Benny. Okay, Benny is like, I am out of here. Now, this is one thing I will say about Benny. Benny is a snake. Benny is a coward. And Benny is a survivor. Okay, sometimes you got to be a snake and a coward to survive. All right. <laughs> and that's one thing that I really can appreciate about Benny is that he's going to do what he needs to do to survive. And there's comfort in knowing that someone who is a bad person will, you know, always take the same path. There is some comfort in, in knowing that people like that are consistent. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about Benny. So anyways, Benny and the other diggers leave and the Egyptologists and the four Americans open the chest, obviously. And simultaneously, we see Rick is opening the sarcophagus with the key and a juicy mummy pops out. Um, we find out that he was condemned in this life and the next, and there were scratch marks inside of the sarcophagus. And he scratched in a message that said, death is only the beginning. This man was buried with beetles that ate him alive. And he had time to scratch in a message. Um, that's the power of anger, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so anyways, we go back to the chest situation and, the message that was left that is that death is only the beginning. So we go back to the chest and inside they find a book of the dead and the cultural expert, the Egyptologist guy is excited, but the Americans are mad. They're like, oh, we don't want no book. Like you ain't come here. There's books in America, whatever. And one of them ends up kicking the chest out of anger and the side of it opens and we find a number of jars. I believe there are five of them that have the organs of Imhotep in them so these are very pretty like nice artifacts so the americans are excited about them excited that they'll be able to sell them and that they'll have some value so evie is like walking through the camp later on that night and she sees that the egyptologist has the book and she recognizes that it's locked and needs a key which is the same key that they used to <laughs> the same key that they use to open the sarcophagus now the funny part of this is that they use the same key for everything and it's like if this book has magic spells in it and if this sarcophagus has a mummy in it wouldn't it make sense to have different keys to unlock these things so that one person didn't have the power to bring about the apocalypse why didn't y'all make multiple keys okay it just doesn't make sense so the Americans taunt Rick's team for only finding a mummy. And we learned a little bit more about the hum die. We learned that the bugs ate Imhotep alive and that if he ever arose, he would bring the 10 plagues of Egypt. We already knew that. Uh, but Evie, who is a glutton for knowledge, ends up stealing the Book of the Dead from the Egyptologist and she uses the key to open it. So Rick catches her seal, steal. Rick catches her stealing the book and we see that it's 
the book of the dead that was buried at the base of Anubis and not the book she was looking for, which is the book of Amun-Ra. So Rick is like, mm, maybe we shouldn't do this. He doesn't have a good feeling about it. And as a person who trusts his instincts, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, crazy, clumsy Rachel Weiss is like, you know, nobody ever got hurt from reading a book. So she flips immediately to the incantation that will wake up Imhotep and brings the mummy back to life. And the Egyptologist is like, no, you shouldn't read from the book, which is one of the best delivered lines in this whole movie, y'all. So yeah, this is where things get a little hairy, y'all. And Right away, the mummy awakens and a plague of locusts comes to attack Hamanoptera. It's a huge freaking swarm and people start rushing inside the ruins to get away from the bugs or whatever. The diggers get attacked. The Egyptologist dude is covered in locusts and he's like, what have we done? And in the chaos, the blind guy who's running or whatever, the guy who has like to wear glasses because he has really poor eyesight, he ends up falling and his glasses fall off his face and they get destroyed by someone who's running so he's basically the prime target to be attacked by Imhotep because he's defenseless and is not going to be able to get away as fast so this actor did a fantastic job of embodying fear okay I literally felt the sorriest for him because he really was like the sweetest American Imhotep ends up attacking this man and takes his eyes and his tongue and unfortunately because this man has poor eyesight Imhotep has poor eyesight as well which, you know, comes up later on in the movie. Rick, Evie, and Jonathan get met with like this little volcano of the man-eating scarabs and Rick is shooting at them because shooting at bugs is super effective. Evie ends up getting separated from the guys and falls into like this secret passageway and now they have to figure out how to find her. So Evie is walking around and ends up finding the guy who got his tongue stolen and the mummy is right there. And because he has crappy eyesight, the mummy calls her a Nuxanamun. So more beetles come. We switch over to a scene with Rick and Jonathan and we see the beetles like in just a matter of seconds devour one of the diggers and the mummy is like trying to convince Evie to come with him. And some of the Americans and Rick find Evie with the mummy and Rick screams at him and shoots him and thinks he mortally wounds him and they exit the ruins and the Magi confront them. And they're like, we've been protecting these ruins for over 3000 years. And they bring out the guy who had his tongues and eyes stolen. And they're like, hey, what did you do to our friend? And Rick is like, hey, I killed that mummy dude. And Ardith, again, the leader of the Magi, is like, this mummy is not human, okay? He's never gonna eat. He's never going to sleep. He's never going to stop. And basically the Magi rescued the guy whose tongue got stolen before the mummy could finish him off or whatever. I don't know how that happened. That was a little strange. Like, I don't know why the mummy didn't finish that guy off because he totally could. It makes the story more interesting. 
So next up, we see Benny, who I low-key forgot about in all of the confusion. And y'all, I love this scene. He comes face to face with the mummy and he is afraid. He is so scared. So he starts taking out necklaces from different religions and starts saying prayers in like different languages. It's very funny. I think he starts off with Christian with like a crucifix or a cross. And then I think he switched to some type of Buddhist necklace or something like I don't know he sang all these different prayers and finally he settles on Hebrew with the star of David and the mummy recognizes it as the language of the Hebrew slaves that were you know building up the cities in the time that he was alive back in Thebes so he's like oh you're going to be useful for me like as a translator or an interpreter and he's going to grant Benny immunity in exchange for his help as an interpreter and help him find the rest of the canopic jars that have his organs in them which he will need to regenerate so they get back to the hotel in Cairo and Rick is packing up and scolding Evie about this mummy and he's like we need to get out of here we need to leave we need to go and Evie is like no we need to kill him and Rick is like this contract is terminated because you are back safe like I don't need to do this with you anymore and Evie decides to stay and Rick is like I'm out Evie wants to stay so she can like you know, kill this mummy or whatever. So they go to the bar courtyard where we meet an old pilot named Winston. And he's one of those people who like wishes that he had died in battle and stay of, instead of laying around and boredom and booze and getting old and whatever. So the Americans are all packed up, but the boat doesn't leave till the next day. And so we see that the tongueless dude is meeting up with Benny and the mummy who like Benny told the guy that it was a prince, but Benny is basically for facilitating this conversation so that the mummy can finish stealing this guy's organs and stuff so he can regenerate and he gets basically sucked dry by Imhotep I felt super sad for him the guys down at the bar some of the Americans with Rick and whatever they do a shot and they spit it out because the water has turned to blood and Rick is like this man is here like I know he's close because this is another one of the plagues right so Rick goes to get Evie it starts raining fire which is another plague and they end up running into Benny and Rick is him and Benny up or whatever but Benny escapes when they hear Imhotep roar so they go to check it out and Imhotep is like regenerating after finishing consuming the guy with no tongue so Rick is still trying to shoot him with the gun and he gets shoved super hard and Imhotep ends up thanking Evie for saving him from the undead but then he gets scared when a cat enters the room and then he does this remember the time move where he turns into sand and flips out of the room as like a little sand tornado so then they're back at the museum and the curator and artist are chatting and they're in cahoots and they're like, how do you know the Magi dude? And the curator is also a Magi and basically they justify the killing of innocent people to prevent the apocalypse. Okay. We find out that Imhotep is going to be afraid of cats until he's fully regenerated and that a Nux and a Moon comes up and they're like, oh, he's still in love with her and he's going to try to use Evie as a human sacrifice to bring her back from the dead and they're like this actually is a good thing because we can distract him with love before he's able to destroy the world okay then the darkness plague comes over the city and they try to get the Egyptologists because they're 
next big part of their plan is to stop the people who stole those jars from getting sucked dry by the mummy. So they're heading to try to find the Egyptologist, right? Rick ends up locking Evie in a room and leaving two of the Americans to guard her. He thinks it's too dangerous. And he takes John to reconnoiter, which was a word I didn't know. I had to look up that, which is kind of like the base word for recon or reconnaissance. We see that the Egyptologist is running through the streets trying to run for his life and he gets sucked dry before anybody can make it to him. So Benny is still at the hotel rummaging through stuff and maybe he's looking for money or maybe he's looking for the key to the book. The Egyptologist actually had the book on him and it contains the spell that Imhotep needs to bring Anux to the moon back to life. So when the Egyptologist died, he regenerated a little bit and he also was able to get that book, the Book of the Dead. So Benny is flipping through stuff or whatever. And in one of my favorite parts of this movie, Benny is running away from Rick and Rick throws a whole chair at Benny and makes him fall. I love that scene. Who throws a whole chair at somebody? It's so funny, y'all. This frenemy relationship is like the best relationship in the freaking movie. And so he roughs Benny up and he's getting info out of Benny through some threats. Benny reveals that he has immunity, immunity um, as long as he helps Imhotep. Uh, Imhotep wants the Book of the Dead so he can bring his dead girlfriend back to life. And Evie is going to be the human sacrifice. And so we hear a scream and Benny uses that as a distraction to jump out of a two-story window to escape. Again, Benny's survival skills are top tier, okay? Um, we see, like I said, the Egyptologist, of course, gets sucked dry. Imhotep has the book that he wanted and he's getting more and more regenerated. And so he opens his mouth and starts the plague of the flies. So they go back to where Evie was and... Um, one of the Americans leaves to get a drink and in the weirdest part of the regeneration scene the mummy does his remember the time sandstorm thing and uses that to suck the American dry like in midair like he's literally just sucking the life out of his body in sandstorm form that's kind of freaky so he regenerates a little bit more, right? So now the mummy is only a single person away from being fully regenerated. So the mummy ends up sneaking into Evie's room while she's sleeping using his remember the time powers. And instead of just bursting into the door, he leaks himself through the keyhole in sand form, which I guess is kind of cute. Mr. Sandman. <laughs> Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. So um, in another sexually assaulting scene, we have Imhotep who does a, another, the second involuntary, unreciprocated, unwarranted kiss in the movie where Imhotep kisses Rachel Weiss's character and calls her a next in the moon and so that kiss makes his face degenerate a little bit disgusting and Rick ends up breaking in with the cat and the mummy remembers the times it out of the room first off I don't think Rachel Weiss was grossed out enough after having kissed the mummy it was pretty disgusting <laughs> I, that's yeah, she should have been more disgusted. 
So now we go back to the museum, right? They need info on where to find the book of Amun-Ra because that's going to have the key to putting the mummy back where they need to put him. But because the locations of the books get mixed up, they have to go and read someplace in the museum about where to find the actual book of Amun-Ra. So we see that there's a bunch of people who are plagued with boils and sores, another plague, and they have become Imhotep slaves. So they start trying to break into the museum while the curator and Evie are reading this tablet to try to find the correct location of the book of Amun-Ra. So the slaves end up breaking in and they find out that the golden book book is in the statue of Horus. So Jonathan goes to get the car and he does this thing where he has to pretend to be a slave to escape the mob. And so he's saying, Imhotep, Imhotep. <laughs> like, so here's one of the things that I want to point out. Jonathan and Benny are not two different people. They actually are like both sides of the same coin to me. Jonathan and Benny both have adversarial relationships with Rick. They both get on his nerves. They both annoy him. And they both have these really interesting survival skills and like loose morals about what stealing is and about cowardice. Like they really are the same person. And the only thing that makes Jonathan different is that he has someone to care about his sister. He has other time to the world. So Benny and Jonathan really are the same character. So Jonathan gets the car, the rest of the crew hops in the car and Benny ends up snitching that they're getting away. The slaves end up chasing the car. They drive through a town and they come face to face with a different mob of slaves. And Rick makes Jonathan gun it through the mob. So they have to fight and drive at the same time. And it's a good scene, but unfortunately the last American gets captured and dragged out of the car. So Imhotep comes around, sucks him dry and is officially fully regenerated. You know, that guy was really afraid too. And he tried offering up the jar and Benny is like freaked out by the sight of this man getting sucked dry. And you can tell that Benny is scared too, but he's doing what he got to do to survive. So the car gets wrecked. They're surrounded by the slaves and the fully regenerated creature approaches with Benny interpreting for him. He basically is saying, Evie, you got to come with me, take my hand, and I'm not going to kill your friends, right? Evie goes with him. They say, live today, fight tomorrow. Same advice that Craig's daddy gave him on Friday. And Imhotep leaves with Evie, and he then instructs the crowd to kill her friends, even though he promised that he wouldn't. So Benny ends up taking the key from whoever had the key. I think it might have been Jonathan. The crowd ends up circling them and Rick ends up finding a sewage drain for them to just escape out of. And unfortunately, the curator is so caught up in like fighting the slaves with the sword that he gets attacked and I'm assuming killed. Not really sure how these mobs of slaves didn't have weapons. So maybe they just stomped in the death. Who knows? So next up, we see Rick, Ardeth, and Jonathan approach Winston, who we met earlier in the bar, the guy who was in the army and wished that he had gone down in the flames and glory of previous battles. And they're like, Winston, we need you to do a final journey. And Winston is all but too happy to like have his last hurrah to be like saving the damsel in distress. It really doesn't take much convincing to get Winston a pilot to fly them back to Hamanaptra. So Rick is 
on the plane, manning the gun. Jonathan and Ardeth are each tied to two of the wings while flying, which is totally unrealistic. They end up seeing this abnormally large sand tornado, and it's the mummy doing the remember the time thing. And he basically throws Evie and Benny out of the tornado, and he regenerates back into his like human form. And y'all, in this scene, his body looks amazing. Like, we don't have a lot of footage at this point of him being his fully regenerated self, but he's wearing like a robe with like no shirt. And then he's wearing like his loincloth situation. And he's not super cut or chiseled. Like, he doesn't have like a whole bunch of definition, but he has like the broadest shoulders. Like, his body looked really good in that scene, he looked great. So basically, he used the sand as a form of travel to get back to Humanuptra really quickly. And they see a plane. And I find that it's very strange that the mummy recognizes what a plane is. This man died back in like 1290 BC. How does he know what modern technology <laughs> looks like? And how can he assume that's Rick and not some new age bird? He's not confused enough by modern things, I'll say. Anyway, the mummy gets mad. He sends some sand, like a big wall of sand to bring down the plane. And you can see his face in the sand. And Evie has to do the third non-consensual kiss in this movie to distract the mummy and end the sandstorm. But the plane ends up still going down and Winston ends up dying, presumably from the impact or a heart attack. The, then some quicksand devours the plane. Which, is there quicksand in the desert? Quicksand is one of those phenomenons that like, I feel like you only really see in the movies. Like, I would imagine that they really exist. But in the desert, does quicksand exist? That's scary, y'all. Anyways, the quicksand, like I said, devours the plane, but not before they can get the little machine gun off of it. So they have like a nice big weapon to use. So basically, they get back in the tombs and Amy warns Benny you're going to get your comeuppance. And Benny's like, mm, whatever. We see Jonathan is standing around while Rick and Ardeth are like moving rocks to gain entry into the ruins. This is like a different spot from where they were before. They finally, uh, no. So this is a different spot from where they are before, but they need to move a bunch of rocks to get into a different entrance. And so, uh, Jonathan notices there's scarabs that are in blue gold on the wall and he puts it in his hand and it ends up burrowing into his skin and they open his shirt or whatever and Rick has to flick the bug out of his skin with the knife and then he shoots the bug because that's the best way to kill bugs and the shot ends up alerting Emotep. So Emotep releases some of the mummies from a wall to attack Rick and his friends. And he tells them like, hey, wake up the other creatures. And we find out that they are Emotep's priests. So these are the people who were buried with Emotep and they were mummified alive, right? So the Rick and and Ardeth and John burrow their way into a new room and Rick ends up using the mirror trick to illuminate the room and it's a room full of treasure. Now this is where I might have to call a little bit of BS. I understand things were weird when they were at Humanuptra earlier. How come nobody found this room of treasure? 
Were they all just super focused on the statue of Anubis that they didn't go, they didn't split up and go looking for the room that actually had treasure on it? How are they just now going to this big room full of treasures? I don't get it. So the mummies that Imhotep released come to attack them. They use the guns to their out of bullets. Jonathan ends up throwing his gun, which is hilarious. And again, one of the funny parts about this movie coming across as realistic to me. Uh, Benny ends up finding the treasure room as well. And we see that Evie is waking up from being asleep at an inopportune time. And she finds herself covered in rats and laying next to a mummified Anuxinamoon. Rick uses Ardith's beard to light a match so he can blow up some of those mummified priests. John finds the statue of Horus to retrieve the book of Amun-Ra. So Benny starts picking up treasure. He's loading up this really reluctant camel and he's like, trying to figure out should I just leave with the treasures that I have but he decides to be greedy and go back for more treasure which ends up being his like the end of his life really what I mean by that is that it seals his fate there we go so more priests end up surrounding Evie so they can begin the ritual of bringing Anuxinamun back to life. So Ardith is like, y'all need to go and get Evie and like kill this mummy or whatever. I'm going to sacrifice myself and I'm going to fight off. I'm going to hold these priests back so that you and John can get the book and go save the girl. So they use more dynamite to break through a wall to make it to Evie and the the ceremony of bringing this woman back to life is happening. A soul arises out of this like nasty pool of black liquid and it goes into Anuxinamu's mummified body and she comes back to life. So Imhotep is about to kill Evie as a sacrifice to bring Anuxinamu back to life. But Jonathan comes with the book and he's like, hey, I got the book. And Evie's like, well, you have to open it and read it so we can send him back. But the key is inside his robes. So Imhotep tries to go after Jonathan because Imhotep knows that this book can send him back. And Rick ends up coming and is fighting the priest in this really silly scene. He like kicks a mummified priest in the nuts and he ends up almost dying because these mummies almost, you know, murder him with a tombstone, whatever. It's a really stupid, silly scene. And the graphics are pretty bad for today's standard, but decent for <laughs> the standard back then. And definitely better than when we see the rock as the scorpion king in the sequel oh that was horrifying uh horrifying graphics but let's stay on topic Jonathan says an inscription on the front of Amun-Ra and awakens these super agile warriors who are actually pretty scary and have the abilities of crawling on walls and whatnot. They have very sharp weapons and Imhotep uses them to attack Rick. So John has to finish the inscription so he can control them. So Anuxinamun is attacking Evie because she has to finish the ceremony. If Anuxinamun wants to come back to life, she has to kill Evie as a human sacrifice, right? So 
Rick is running from these like superhuman warriors who are climbing on the walls. And the last symbol for the inscription is a stork. And Jonathan does not remember what it is. And he asks Evie, what is it? It's a stork. And she's like, oh, it's a menifice or whatever. So he finishes the inscription just in time before the superhuman warriors or whatever end up killing Rick. So John, Jonathan orders these warriors, these mummified warriors to kill Anuxana Moon. And so they do kill her and Imhotep is mad and he tries to strangle Jonathan and Rick comes over and chops his arm off so that Jonathan can be released. So while all of this is going on, Jonathan is able to get the key out of Imhotep's robes. This is a callback to the fact that Jonathan actually is really a pickpocket and is able to take things from people without them noticing. So his pickpocketing skills have come in handy. Nice. So basically... The mummy reattaches his arm and Imhotep is attacking Rick, just throwing him around like you're causing me too many problems. I'm going to throw you from the window to the wall or whatever. Evie and Jonathan open the book and she finds the inscription to kill the mummy while Rick is getting thrown around like a little rag doll. And so Imhotep is about to kill Rick. He starts to open his mouth super large and Evie finds its inscription again just in time. And she reads the inscriptions and finishes it. Yatue, Yatue, something like that. And the chariot, this ghost chariot, comes through and steals some version of Imhotep and it's like Imhotep ain't dead he's still walking around but we find out that um he is now mortal whatever that chariot stole from him is what was making him immortal so he basically walks over to Rick to fight him but Rick stabs him with the sword and he dies from blood loss <laughs> and he falls into that nasty black pool with all the souls and before he is submerged he says that death is only the beginning in his language so yeah Imhotep is dead y'all and the mummy is dead y'all but this is not the end of the movie there's more we see Benny is carrying lots of gold it's really heavy and he ends up resting it on a latch earlier in the movie I can't remember where there was a Part of the lore of Hamanuptra is that there's some type of latch or something that you can pull that would destroy the entire city. And the thing that Benny decided to rest his heavy bag of treasures on is that very latch. So the latch gets activated and the entirety of the the tombs and everything or pyramids, whatever it is in Hamanuptra is basically about to get swallowed up by the earth. So stuff is falling from the ceilings the ceilings are crashing down like slowly crashing down in certain areas so everybody who's in there that wants to survive needs to get the heck out so we got rick jonathan and evie trying to get out and we also have benny simultaneously trying to get out while also trying to preserve some of his treasures of course so as they're running out there's a lot of commotion jonathan ends up dropping the book of Amun-Ra and of course Evie's not happy about that but their lives are more important. Benny's trying to save the gold but eventually his life is more important and he has to move on. Jonathan wants some gold too but the ceiling is coming crashing down and again his life is more important. 
So Benny is right behind them and he tries to get Rick to save him, but the wall comes down too fast and Benny gets his comeuppance as promised. Okay. The ceilings are falling down and the light source from the ancient mirror is destroyed. And all Benny has in his hand is basically a uh, torch. And unfortunately he gets surrounded by scarabs and his face is like the depiction of real fear and the torch that he's holding begins to die due to a lack of oxygen and we hear him scream as he's being eaten alive by scarabs so of course rick evie and jonathan make it out of the ruins the whole city is being swallowed up and destroyed and they are running for their lives and so are the other camels and animals in the area we see that ardith again the leader of the magi makes it out and ends up scaring the crap out of them <laughs> And we see that he has a wrapped hand. He got a little injured while he was messing around with those mummies, but he is grateful to them. And it's like, Ardith, you don't have to thank these white people for laying to rest a mummy that they woke up in the first place. Okay. Don't acknowledge that you failed at keeping this mummy under wraps. <laughs> this is the second time I make that joke, but it's still funny. Don't thank them for bringing about the ending the apocalypse that was their fault in the first place okay do not thank these people move on with your life all right so jonathan of course is mad about having to go home empty-handed and the first consensual kiss of the movie happens where rick and evie make out because nothing brings people together more than surviving the apocalypse and they ride off into the sunset and magically Rick and Evie ride off into the sunset on the camel that has the treasures that Benny stole. So they weren't completely empty handed. Things kind of worked out for them. So that was really sweet. So that's the end y'all. So that was my review for one of the most watched movies in my personal history. The questions are, is the movie worth a rewatch and does it hold up today? The answers are yes and yes. Now, while there were a number of non-consensual kisses in the movie and a little bit of old school misogyny, I chalk most of that up to the fact that this movie was set in the 1920s and that that behavior was acceptable, more acceptable than. Still not cool, but like it's literally the extent of the inappropriateness in this movie, unless you are well aware of Egyptian mythology and lore and it's inaccurate and I can't speak to that. Okay. So besides all of that, it's a wonderful action movie with tons of beautiful people in it. There's an easy to follow storyline for the most part. And they have two parallel love stories that have very different like endings and beginnings. And for a split second, I considered reviewing The Mummy and its sequel, The Mummy Returns, in the same episode. But I love this movie and the second movie so much that I knew that each one is going to need its own special episode. So later on, I will come back and review The Mummy Returns, which features a very bad CGI'd <laughs> The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson had never looked worse than The Scorpion King. <laughs> Now that I think about it, this is totally an aside, totally unrelated. The Rock is black and Samoan. Twice he has been featured in movies that are near and about the Middle East, as if he's from that region, including like Scorpion King, 
right? Or mummy returns and scorpion king, which are linked personally, would score it higher. Um, but we all know that the haters gonna hate. Thank you so much for listening to my review of The Mummy. In the next episode, I'll be reviewing the 2001 hit movie Princess Diaries featuring Anne Hathaway and Dame Julie Andrews. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out.